Thank you for joining me as we look at our fifth Wednesday Lenten service this year. We're looking at we're looking at our series again, Jesus' final steps, his final steps tonight, looking at how his final steps led to a fig tree. Pastor Paul Lindloff will be at Calvary for our fifth Lenten service. I'm looking to right now a little bit at the sermon text that he would be preaching on. But we'll begin right now by looking at the beginning of our order of service for our Lenten services. Hasten to save me, O God. O Lord, come quickly to help me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. You are my God, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Let us confess our sins in the name of our God, to whom all hearts are open, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Jesus says to his people, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. His death paid for the guilt of your sins and the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? By the authority of Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are a dear child of God and an heir of eternal life. Amen. Our scripture lesson this evening is the fourth lesson from the Passion History of our Savior, looking at Matthew chapter 27. We're looking at verses 1 to 26. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people reached the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The end of Judas. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he felt remorse. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? That's your problem. 
He threw the pieces of silver into the temple and left. Then he went out and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put these into the treasury, since it is blood money. They reached a decision to buy the potter's field with the money as a burial place for foreigners. So that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken through the prophet, through Jeremiah the prophet, was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price the sons of Israel had set for him, and they gave them for the potter's field, just as the Lord commanded me. Jesus' trial in Pilate's court. When Jesus stood in the presence of the governor, the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how many things they are testifying against you? But he did not answer him, not even a word, so that the governor was very surprised. Barabbas or Jesus? At the time of the festival, the governor had a custom to release to the crowd any one prisoner they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they were assembled, Pilate said to them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For Pilate knew that, it, that they had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent him a message. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, she said, since I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus put to death. The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, they said. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Crucify him. But the governor said, Why, what has he done wrong? But they kept shouting even louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing and that instead it was turning into a riot, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this righteous man's blood. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let's sing our hymn for this evening. Hymn number 111, Sweet the Moments Rich in Blessing. Sweet the moments rich in blessing, which before the cross we spend, life and health and peace possessing, 
from the sinner's dying friend. Here we rest in wonder, viewing all our sins on Jesus laid. Here we see redemption flowing from the sacrifice he made. Here we find the dawn of heaven while upon the cross we graze. See our trespasses forgiven and our songs of triumph raise. Oh, that near the cross abiding we may to the Savior cleave, not with him our hearts dividing, all for him content to leave. Lord, in loving contemplation, fix our hearts and eyes on you, till we taste your full salvation and your unveiled glory view. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The Word of God, we want to consider this fifth Wednesday midweek Lenten service is from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 14 and 20 to 25. The next day, after they had set out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. When he saw a fig tree in leaf in the distance, he went to see if he might find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, since it was not the season for figs. Jesus said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered down to its roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus replied, Have faith in God. Amen, I tell you. Whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything that you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow Christians who are following in the footsteps of our Savior. Some people are very puzzled by it. Some people are even shocked by the account that we're looking at this evening as we study this event that took place on, 
on Monday and Tuesday of, of Holy Week. This evening, you and I are again following our footsteps, the footsteps of our Savior as he's taking his final steps to Golgotha, to the cross, to suffer and die for us and to pay for all of our sins. And this evening, as we continue looking at his final steps, we'll see how his final steps led to a fig tree, a fig tree that was cursed by Jesus to prove the danger of unfruitfulness. And it's a fig tree that was used to prove the power of prayer. Why are people either puzzled or shocked when they look at this account, at the, the story that's in front of us tonight? Because it almost seems as if Jesus is a little bit out of character in this situation. Some readers, Bible readers, maybe ponder this section and think, well, was, was Jesus cracking under the pressure of everything that was going on at this particular time? Was he boiling over because of his frustrations at everything that was going on? And was that poor fig tree just in the wrong place at the wrong time and ended up being the victim of Jesus' frustration and his... Troubles dealing with the current situation. If you or I had been walking in Jesus' sandals at that time, oh, for his, with his final steps, if we'd been walking in his footsteps at that time, would our tempers have flared because of all of the things that, well, Jesus' enemies were doing against him? Would we have been frustrated because of well, think about how the people, they weren't giving Jesus the support and the encouragement that really they should have given him because here is the Savior come into the world. Oh, if we had been in Jesus' footsteps, maybe, maybe what we would have done is we would have sent down fire and brimstone to, to instead of just destroying that fig tree, that withering that fig tree, Maybe we would have sent a meteor to strike Jerusalem and to have a massive crater be there instead. But now, of course, our Savior, he's not like us, right? He never buckled under the pressure like maybe we would have done if we had been in his sandals. He never fell to the temptations of Satan. The writer to the Hebrews assures us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. But then the question remains, why on Monday of Holy Week did Jesus guide his final steps toward this fig tree that he did see in a distance, why didn't he just use his 2020 divine perfect vision to know ahead of time that there weren't any figs on that tree? Why, when Mark tells us 
it was not the season for figs. Why, when Jesus found nothing on that tree but leaves, why did he curse that tree, saying, may no one ever eat fruit from you again? And Mark continues, and his disciples were listening. That last sentence, let's remember that for a little bit later because it helps us to answer our question, why all of this was happening. But now let me tell you a little something about fig trees. The fig tree that Jesus cursed that day, probably an orchard-sized fig tree. Orchard size meaning it was like 10 to 15 feet in height. And, and now some of those trees could have stretched to maybe 25 feet in height. The tree's summer foliage is dense and thick, making it a wonderful shade tree under which to, to lounge. Fig trees were also, pro, were also prized because they provided a basic staple for the diet of people back then. And those fig trees, they helped drive the economy back at that time. Figs were a good cash crop, crop really, usually producing like two crops a year and perhaps even a third. In Palestine, the fig trees, they would end up losing all their leaves in December and then they would start budding new leaves in March. But they're already starting to form the next crop of figs before they're fully leafed out. This explains why when Jesus saw that tree in leaf, as it says here, he walked over to it to see if there was fruit buried on under the leaves. And now that would have been the norm, but there was no fruit in this case. That's when our Savior cursed that tree so that when the disciples walked past it one day later on, well, it says they saw the fig tree withered down to the roots. Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. With his curse, what Jesus did is he switched off the life for that tree. If an event like this does nothing else for us, it does remind us the truthfulness of the verse that says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is one of the reasons our Savior's final steps led to a fig tree like this. It was cursed to prove the danger of unfruitfulness, of not living as a believing child of God, but it, it was telling us the danger of unfruitfulness, not just for the tree. Well, Mark tells us here, plainly that Jesus was hungry as he walked over to that tree, but, but it wasn't because he was so famished in his growling stomach that he ended up cursing the tree like this. Remember, this Jesus is the one who fasted for 40 days out in the wilderness when he was tempted by Satan, and missing an early snack like this wasn't just going to turn Jesus 
so that he'd end up cursing the tree like this and having a divine temper tantrum like this. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus was using this situation as what we could call for a children's message for that day. Recall the sentence that I had told you before that you should remember, tuck away, where it says, and his disciples were listening when Jesus cursed the tree. Jesus wanted them to witness what happened, to see, hear, and to learn under these circumstances because, well, right after Jesus cursed that fig tree, what did Jesus do next? Well, he took a few more of his final steps toward the cross, toward Golgotha. And what he did is he went to the temple and there he cleaned house. And why? Because the temple was actually just like that fig tree. The tree, all leaves promise and show that there should have been figs there, but there were no fruits. And at the temple, the same thing. When Jesus left the fig tree to wither down to its roots and he stepped into the temple, well, he was also looking at the temple and wanting to see fruits there. But instead of that, he found nothing. The words of Isaiah may, oh, the words of Hosea rather, may well have been echoing in Jesus' hearts and heart and mind. It says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What it says in Scripture is that what the Lord found was a den of thieves in the temple there. It was an architectural wonder, a beautiful temple, a beautiful place. And the show put on there would have been impressive but all our Savior saw when he went to the temple, there were leaves, there were the sacrifices, there were the beautiful buildings, there were the people, but, but he said no fruit. All he saw was people who were going through the motions of worship and worship leaders who were bowing down to the almighty dollar or back then the almighty shekel. Huh? That's what was the important thing to them. So he cleansed the temple just as he had cursed the fig tree. And all to drive home this truth, you don't mess with the Lord God. The God of grace and mercy is at the same time a God of righteous judge justice that's described in in Old Testament verses that are quoted by the writer to the Hebrews, it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So we come back to this basic thought. The fig tree was the children's message, the object lesson that day. And our Savior cursed that fig tree to drive home a truth a truth of a parable that Jesus had told his disciples earlier in his ministry. He had said, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. 
He came looking for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the gardener, look for three years now. I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I have found none. Cut it down. Why even let it use up the soil? But the gardener replied to him, sir, leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put fertilizer on it. If it produces fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. That parable wasn't a warning to fig trees, but it was a warning rather to God's people, to the Israelites, and it's also a warning to us. Our Lord is patient and gracious, but he's also righteous and just, and he expects fruit from his people. The prophet Hosea, again, serving as the Lord's mouthpiece, used this very same picture. He said, I regarded Israel like grapes found in the wilderness. I regarded your forefathers like the first ripe fruit on a fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and they devoted themselves to a shameful thing and they became as disgusting as the thing they loved. Instead of being faithful to God, they wandered away from God. They worshiped idols. They weren't faithful. They were unfruitful. And now when we look at this, we'd say, well, what about us? Are we bearing fruit in our lives as believing children? Or are we becoming complacent in our faith? If so, let's remember Jesus cursing this fig tree. This event in scripture helps us to understand why the Apostle Paul begs us in scripture and says, as fellow workers, we also urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, at a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Look, now is the favorable time. See, now is the day of salvation. He, he's saying, we know God's grace and love. We're forgiven. We're heirs of heaven. Now's the day of salvation. Live as believing children of God because of all that our God has done for us. Well, cursing the fig tree in this reading, it puzzles some, shocks others. It's really kind of rare that Jesus, God's only son, the perfect steward of God's creation, would destroy something in nature, but if you think about it, well, unless you include the time when there was that miraculous catch of fishes, which didn't end well for the fish, of course, and maybe think of the time that, that Peter caught that fish that had the coin in its mouth for the temple tax. Well, didn't end up well for that fish unless Peter practiced catch and release. And then, of course, there's only one other time where there's only one other time where a miracle of Jesus destroyed something in nature, and that happened when when he cast 
the demons into that herd of pigs and they all went rushing down to their death. But all of these miracles, they performed, they served a greater purpose to further God's plan. Well, the next morning as you look at this story with the fig tree, the next morning when our Savior and his disciples walked past that fig tree, imagine how Peter and the other disciples, how they gawked and gaped at that fig tree that had withered down to its roots, it said, they're within 24 hours like this. You don't see something like that happen every day. And that's when Jesus sees this teachable moment created by that object message and he explained to them why his final steps led to a fig tree like this. He was warning against unfruitfulness, but when Peter blurted out, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered, Jesus replied, have faith in God. Amen, I tell you. Whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything that you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Prayer works. Prayer works. The half-brother of our Lord got it right when a few decades after, after this he wrote, the prayer of a righteous person is able to do much because it is effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would rain, and it did not rain, that it would not rain, and, he, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its harvest. Prayer, it's powerful. Elijah prayed because of the, the wickedness of the people, because of their idol worshiping, he prayed and, and God withheld rain from the land for three and a half years. And then he prayed again at the end of the three and a half years and God sent rain from heaven, showers from heaven. This fig tree, it withered instantly. Prayer moves mountains. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples that day. And it's also teaching us. But maybe, maybe we don't quite believe it. Maybe we're plagued with doubts ourselves. And Maybe we don't feel as if our prayers can move mountains. Maybe we have our doubts when we would pray for healing for cancer or prayers for saving a marriage or prayers for ending a pandemic overnight. You know, yet what happens? Deaths continue in our world. And well, why? Well, remember, our Lord is righteous and holy. He's filled with limitless grace and mercy. And the fact of the matter is, is he does know all things. He alone knows, he alone knows and sees how everything 
fits together in this life through all time for his eternal purpose. He can even take the most terrible things that happen in this world and still figure out a way to work out things for his good, for our eternal good, for his eternal plan of grace. And that's why, that explains why sometimes our Father's answer to a prayer to us might be no or I got something better in mind for you. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. He prayed three times to the Lord to, to remove that thorn in the flesh from him and the Lord answered him, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will be glad to boast all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may shelter me. But what about prayer? Prayers moving mountains? Well, don't get mesmerized by Jesus' illustration here about the, the power of prayer moving mountains. That's a showy thing. And if you took a video of a mountain being moved and you put it on Facebook or, or you put it on a YouTube video, it'd get hundreds, thousands, millions of views and likes. Would it be a little, but it all it would be really is a little bit of the leaves and the show and the no real fruit when you get right down to it. You know, the last time I checked, there are engineers that make some massive machinery that can literally move mountains. But here, when Jesus is talking about moving mountains, think about what his point is here. He talked about moving mountains on purpose. He, he, his image grabbed the attention of those disciples, those disciples who all too often had their heads up in the clouds as they argued about which of them should be the greatest in the kingdom of God. For in that very moment, what our Savior was doing is he was grabbing the attention of those disciples and and us too, telling us what's really important when it comes to the power of prayer. Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. What? Will we want to be at the top of our prayer list? My prayer list, your prayer list? Well, forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins for us, for others. And that's the real reason why Jesus took all of his final steps, whether that was to Lazarus's tomb, to the dinner party in Bethany, to his father's house, to a fig tree. All his final steps, they all were heading to Golgotha, to Calvary, to that center cross where he'd suffer, die, bleed, all for the forgiveness.
forgiveness of sins. All for all people. All for you and me. Reading like the one in front of us warns us about unfruitfulness. But then it tells us that a fruit of our faith will want that to be that we look to God in prayer. We trust in Him. Trust in Him for His grace and love. Trust in Him for His forgiveness. Amen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule us according to your will, to comfort us in all afflictions, to defend us from all error, and to lead us into all truth. We pray through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And we gather up all other prayers we have today as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Again, thank you for joining me for looking at our fifth Wednesday Lenten service. We have one more Wednesday Lenten service and then the next week is Holy Week with Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and, and then Easter Sunday. It's coming fast where we can again celebrate the victory of our Savior over the grave over Satan, sin, death, and hell. Again, thank you for joining me. The Lord bless and keep you always. Amen.